Welcome to the You Love and You Learn podcast, the place to learn about all things love, relationships, relationship anxiety, and to deconstruct the one-size-fits-all narrative of what it means to be in a happy relationship. I'm your host, Sarah Yudkin, a relationship anxiety coach who's on a mission to discuss the nuances of love and relationships that I wish someone would have shared with me years ago. My goal with each episode is for you to leave with an expanded definition of love and relationships and with practices to carry with you in your life and relationships on a day-to-day basis. I'm so grateful to have you here. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. I'm excited to bring you another episode of the You Love and You Learn podcast this week, and you are in for a treat because I got to sit down with Robert, who is an OCD and anxiety coach. And after having spent years struggling with OCD, he finally learned how to overcome it and now helps others do the same. Robert is also the host of the well-known OCD and anxiety podcast, as well as a Wim Hof method instructor. And Today we talked about this phrase of leaning into discomfort. What does it mean to lean into discomfort? We talk about how to intentionally expand your comfort zone, even though that might mean being in uncomfortable situations, how to respond when we're feeling uncomfortable, and so much more. Now, why I'm excited for this conversation is because relationships bring up uncomfortable emotions at times. There's naturally uncomfortable emotions that can come up, whether or not you experience relationship anxiety, ROCD or not. And we can either shy away from these uncomfortable moments and retreat or respond to them in ways that might feel like we're not fully in control, or we can intentionally respond And so this episode is going to share a little bit more about how to do that. So let's get into it. I'm excited for you to hear this one. And thank you again for listening. Hey, Robert, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me on. Yeah, I'm really excited for this because today's topic, I'll just give a little sneak peek into it, is going to be how to manage discomfort, how to sit with discomfort, how to lean into discomfort, how to show up not only in your relationship but in your life amidst the discomfort and I think that is such an important topic but why I'm really excited to talk to you is because you have experienced relationship OCD and so a lot of my listeners who have experienced relationship OCD or relationship anxiety they're very familiar with the discomfort that we're going to be talking about today. And so it's going to be awesome to not only have your perspective from how you coach with your clients, but also how you've coached yourself and everything you've learned to navigate this. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a really interesting conversation. I'm looking forward to it. Definitely. So I'd love for you just to give a brief story around your experience with ROCD. I think it's always so helpful for someone else to realize they're not alone in it, but when did you first realize that maybe you experienced relationships different than other people might? You know, we hear these things like, it was so easy for me. I just found my person and I knew, and I obviously didn't have that experience. It doesn't sound like you did either. So when did you start realizing "Mm, maybe relationships are kind of tougher for me or something's going on here? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. 
I think, uh, you know, so it kind of starts really with with OCD, um, because I was obviously struggling with that first. And that was something that when I look back now, I can recognize that I was struggling with OCD from a very young age. Um, obviously, at the time, I, d- I didn't know, I don't think anybody else picked up on it. There wasn't so much information about OCD um, as there is today. And so, you know, I was kind of struggling with that. And then when I became uh, 15, 16, the OCD kind of became chronic. Um, you know, it was it, it was really hard, very, very, very difficult to, to kind of deal with. Um, and I would say that the ROCD really started well with my uh, my first proper uh, relationship at age 17, um, you know, which which didn't work out. And, um, you know, it was a kind of long distance relationship and it was probably doomed from day one to, to, to be honest. But um, obviously with it being your first proper relationship or you feel so much more, um, you know, the first time that you really fall in love with somebody, mm-hmm. obviously all of our emotions are much stronger. We feel everything more intensely. And, uh, and when, it didn't, when it didn't work out, I was absolutely gutted. And, um, you know, it was something that was really, really hard to to deal with and to accept. And, you know, obviously I had to move on, but I found myself ruminating, you know, a lot with it. And rumination was something that I was already doing uh, a lot in terms of, you know, compulsions to do with the other types of OCD that I was struggling with. Um, you know, and so I was ruminating about the relationship uh, a lot about what I could have done maybe to to kind of, you know, to keep that relationship going or what mistakes I'd made or all of these mm. kinds of things. And, you know, and in doing this and this went on for about a year, you know, much, much too long at a at a very young age and the kind of age where I, ideally you would be enjoying yourself. You no, know? you're kind of 17, 18 you should be out there, you know, having having a good time and, and getting to know the world and not getting so hung up on, you know, a relationship that that went south. Mm. But there I was and I was really beating myself up for it. And in the process, almost creating this kind of trauma for myself about relationships, mm. Mm. Um, you know, and, and from that point onwards, really, you know, every relationship that I got into it was a lot, lot harder than it than it needed to be. Um, I would tend to overthink things, and uh, so yeah, that that would that's really kind of where where I think it started. Mm, definitely, and I think too, you know, it's hard when maybe for you hear those words like, "Oh, well, you should be enjoying yourself at this age," and I, obviously there's some truth to that, but then for more sensitive people or more analytical people, it's really hard sometimes to just have a experience like a breakup or a first love, or I don't know when you're young and and you kind of didn't really even know what to expect. But then, like you said, it became this emotional, for lack of a better word, wounding or emotional kind of layering onto what relationships mean to you. And so then moving forward, you probably had this narrative, well, love isn't safe because look what happened to me back then. And so how is that going to show up for me now? So fast forward a little bit and you're in a relationship that you're in now, and I won't spoil it for people of kind of the, the current relationship status of that, but talk to me a little bit more about like the relationship that you wanted to work 
but did you still experience the ROCD, you know, talk about navigating things in the relationship you're in today. And then if you can share kind of where you're at today at the end, that would be helpful too, of like, are you still Mm. with this person? How long have you been together? Things like that. Yeah. 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 So with my, my current, uh, fiance, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. (laughs) <laughs> we've been together now for six years um and yeah we we met in in barcelona I, li- I live in spain and have done for the last 10 years or so um you know when i first arrived here i started a relationship with somebody and it was the same old story um you know i i really got caught up in fears about the relationship is this the right person and ruminating on it and going around in circles a lot of judgment, a lack of self-compassion, you know, which you you were kind of alluding to uh, earlier, um, you know, and and all of these kinds of things that you just go around in circles with them, and it's it's so difficult, and it's it's uh, a real trap because obviously one of the reasons I think that uh, people who are struggling with re- uh, relationship OCD struggle so much is because actually relationships are that important to them it's it's there's a sad kind kind of irony about it they really want to have a good relationship with somebody but it's almost that they want to have it so much that kind of perfectionism that comes in or this not wanting to to be hurt which is really what's underneath it like demanding that I find the absolute perfect person for example or looking for um, all of the right features and if I don't quite find all of those things then fortunately despite the fact that this person seems you know to be an amazing person I'm gonna have to walk away from this relationship um you know and that happened to me within the first year of being in in uh, barcelona and yeah it was a really uh, really difficult experience to to kind of go through but thankfully yeah i, I met my my current uh, girlfriend fiance and you know we were really well today we're in a really good place i can kind of get into more of the story of what happened but yeah i i think i've had to learn how to accept uncertainty and anxiety um, surrounding relationships in general because of course in any relationship it doesn't matter how good it is there's going to be doubts that we have there's going to be you know things that maybe aren't quite right or the main things may be right but if you struggle with this type of perfectionism in relationships you are going to notice things that, you know, maybe aren't perfect about that person. And they may be quite small, superficial things. But the problem is, we all tend to obsess sometimes about about things. And it doesn't matter if you have OCD or not, we all have that uh, ability to, to kind of really obsess about things. And it's very easy to get hung up about really superficial, small things, you know, in our partners that make us feel like I can't be happy with this person because now I'm aware of this thing that I've noticed and whether that's a physical uh, attribute or a personality trait or something else, it doesn't matter. Sometimes we notice these things and once we've noticed them, it's almost like, oh, now I can't, I can't not notice it. I'm always thinking about that. And we, we kind of convince ourselves sadly that, you know, we, we can't be in that relationship anymore. Um, we're not going to be able to be happy that we're always going to be anxious if we stay in that relationship or we might persuade ourselves that it's unfair on the other person 
you know that 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 we're kind of uh, not being kind to them by staying in this in this relationship if we're not a hundred percent sure. And these were all the kind of things were, that were constantly going through my head at the beginning of this relationship with my yeah. uh, fiance. Uh, thankfully, today, you know, I'm I'm much better able to navigate these things, mm-hmm. and and we're in a really positive place, which I can kind of get more into uh, if yeah. you like. Yeah, I love that. I'm sure some of what we're going to get into is going to inevitably unfold with things like practicing more acceptance, being able to tolerate uncertainty and discomfort, things like that. But one thing I want to talk about first before we get into some of those things is something you've shared. I think I found it on your website. I forget exactly where I saw it, but you said trying to beat anxiety, trying to fix anxiety, like trying to kind of get it away was part of the problem. Um, Mm. Can you say more about what you meant by that? Because I think that this is something a lot of clients come to me with, or a lot of people probably that have listened to either of our podcasts or maybe see something on social media. Maybe when they first come across it, they're like, all right, well then great. This is a thing I can now fix the thing because I know about it. And so now I need to get rid of it so that I can be happy so that I can move forward. And is that helpful? Why not? Mm. Yeah, this is a a real trap, unfortunately, when it comes to OCD and anxiety related issues. Of course, on on one level, we want to to fix it. I mean, that's why we we seek out help from therapists or coaches, or we go online and we seek out answers to our questions. And, you know, that does make sense. But the problem is that if we're too fixated on finding the, the kind of cure for these things, um, you know, and we demand that we kind of uh, be or feel a certain way, what we're kind of doing is we're demanding that that life be exactly how we want it to be. And in my experience, when we do that, well, actually, we're really shutting ourselves down to to all of the amazing opportunities that life actually has to to offer us. Um, We're kind of demanding that life be black and white, that it has to be this way or that way. And anything else in between, well, that's that's kind of not okay. And unfortunately when we focus on on looking for that for that cure that 100% you know way to feel better from these things mm-hmm. you know we don't allow the potential for anxiety to actually be there in the background in my experience a really important part of learning to get over anxiety is actually you know acceptance as we talked about earlier I don't like the word acceptance, though, because it's kind of overused a lot. It's like everyone's just like, yeah, you need to learn how to accept. Mm. (laughs) And it's like, okay, but how do I do that? What is acceptance? What do we actually mean by that? And if we're just going around looking for the cure, we're never going to be able to to discover what what we mean by acceptance. And Mm. in my view, acceptance really is curiosity. So often what we're doing is when we're feeling difficult emotions, you know, challenging states that come up, we are doing everything that we can as quickly as possible to get rid of them, which is completely understandable because yeah, they are very difficult. And this is a normal reaction. Every single uh, creature on this planet will automatically move away from discomfort. 
and move towards the light, move towards comfort. And so, of course, we do the same thing. But the problem is, if we focus on this too much, if we demand that we that we not feel at all uh, these difficult emotions, actually what we're doing is we're just pushing them away and that actually mm. makes them stronger. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you like, it's helpful to kind of think of this analogy. So imagine that you're down at the beach, it's a beautiful day and you're going down into the seas to have a bit of a play and you've got a beach ball. And inside your beach ball, are all of your fears, all of the things that you really don't like, the emotions, the stories that you might tell yourself, the narratives that you get stuck in. And they're all there in that beach ball. And effectively, when we're we're demanding to not feel our emotions, it's like we're trying to hold this beach ball under the water. Mm -hmm. You can do it. You can do it for a while, you know, but at some point, you're going to get tired from doing that. And not just time, you're going to get exhausted. And when you do, of course, that beach ball is going to, it's not just going to come up to the surface. It's going to come right up here. It's going to be right in our face. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is the problem of demanding, you know, to not have anxiety or to Mm -hmm. demand to feel 100% okay. It's kind of like just resisting the anxiety the whole time. And in my experience, that's non-acceptance and it just makes things worse. And so if instead we can learn to have a different relationship with with anxiety where we try to become curious about it, as ridiculous as that may seem on the face of it. So why would I want to be curious about anxiety? It's horrible. And, you know, I agree, anxiety is really difficult to deal with. But actually, it is just a kind of feeling and a sensation in the body that's related to all sorts of different things, uh, thoughts or stories that we tell ourselves, experiences that we've had, memories, all sorts of different things. But really, it's an emotion in the body that that comes up. And when we allow ourselves to feel that, we can actually begin to transcend it. We don't have to be kind of stuck with it and pushed around and unfortunately I I think this is one of the issues is when people are struggling and fighting with their their anxiety really what we're doing is we're allowing the OCD or or the anxiety to dictate how we live our lives Mm. because we're rather than actually allowing ourselves to feel and kind of when we do that we take control of the situation Mm -hmm. when we're fighting and we're saying no well in a way we're kind of giving up control. We're kind of saying that the OCD or the anxiety is too strong. I can't deal with it. And I'm going to have to kind of push it away or perform a compulsion in order to kind of feel better because it's the only thing I can do. I can't allow myself to feel it. Um, This this isn't true. This is a trap that we get into and unpicking that and realizing that actually you can feel your emotions. And when you do so, wow, life really opens up and things really do begin to change. And you're no longer stuck in this trap of demanding, okay, I have to find the cure. I have to, I have to not feel anxiety. We recognize anxiety is actually a normal part of life and, you know, we can actually deal with it. Yeah. It's like reminding yourself that you are so much more capable than you think and not your OCD and anxiety are not 
so much more powerful than you are and kind of taking the reins back, so to speak. And it Mm. reminds me of the quote, as you were talking about the beach ball, the Mm. way out is through and not saying like the way out of any feelings again, but the way out of the uncomfortable moments perhaps is like kind of wading through it. And we'll get into that here in a second. But one question in response to this notion of curiosity, because I love how you expanded on the word acceptance and brought in this other word of curiosity for people, because I agree, Mm. even though I say it a lot too, it's like even defining what acceptance means can be a helpful part of the conversation. Cause sometimes you just hear it and you're like, all right, but actually what do I do to accept things? So Mm. when you said curiosity, I was thinking about how my old definition of curiosity when I was experiencing obsessive thinking or anxiety was like, well, I need to get to the bottom of this, right? Like I need to be curious of exactly why this is happening so that I can make sure that it's not an incompatibility. It's not this, it's not that. Whereas now I have a new lens of curiosity. That's a little bit more compassionate, a little bit more open to whatever's coming up. So can you kind of talk about that? The difference between maybe the curiosity that can be kind of like the grasp for certainty versus a curiosity that's a little bit more fluid and open. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I, I would say curiosity for for me is is actually more of a body focused uh, thing. Mm. And so a lot of the time, I think when you hear the word acceptance you know, you start thinking, well, what is acceptance? How do I do it? And you're, again, you're getting caught up in cognitions and, you know, really with anxiety and OCD problems, that is the problem. We're overthinking everything. We're analyzing everything. And, you know, and again, we're bringing that to acceptance and it's not helpful. It actually kind of just confuses us more. And really by acceptance, what, what I really mean is, um, you know, experientially learning how to feel your, your difficult emotions and trying to kind of move towards them and be curious and be curious about them in terms of how that might happen with OCD is kind of, you know, exposure work, for example, Exposure work can be uh, very, very challenging, but actually, you know, it has a lot of research backing it up uh, to show that it's incredibly beneficial uh, for OCD, but also phobias and other types of anxiety as well. Um, You know, um, and when we gradually over time in a gentle way, learn to actually expose ourselves to some of our obsessions or our fears, what we can do is begin to explore in our bodies the difficult emotions that come up and how they actually feel, where they present in the body. And this is really where kind of mindfulness is very important, you know, where you can become a lot more focused on the body. Um, you start letting go of the cognitions and actually you just try to focus on feeling. Where am I able to feel this anxiety? Where is it really kind of impacting me right now? You know, and we try to focus on, you know, textures and colors and movements and all of these kinds of things, because when we're doing this, this is really developing that curiosity where you're just open to it and you kind of want to say to it, okay, you're allowed to be. And for me, this is also self-compassion because I kind of feel like the least self-compassionate thing we can do 
is to not allow ourselves to feel our emotions, you know? And so when we do these types of activities, um, actually, we can actually begin to, to feel them a lot more. And when we do that, well, actually, so what a lot of the time we process them and they begin to move on. They lose some of their intensity. And if we're just patient and we practice this allowance and this curiosity, you know, we can really begin to have a different relationship with uh, with our uh, obsessions or anxieties. And so, you know, it's a powerful thing to, to practice. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. So helpful. And I was really thinking about in my own experiences, you know, when just a trigger comes up and you want to do everything you can almost to distract yourself or like go scroll or go get reassurance from somebody. But I think this is where we get into the meat of this conversation for today, because a lot of coaches or therapists, it's like we have this phrase of, well, when discomfort comes up, practice sitting in it, practice leaning into it versus trying to escape and fix it. So what I'm hearing from you with what you just shared is that part of learning to lean in is learning to not necessarily think your way through what's happening, but to really get curious and notice the sensations coming up and be in a relationship with that, which means kind of like, oh, like, I wonder where I feel this. Is it in my chest? Is my stomach clenching? You know, do I feel like there's some buzzing or tingling happening in my fingers? Am I noticing my body temperature get warm? And it's almost like mm, absolutely inquiring about that mm. instead of trying to inquire about why this is coming up and what does it all mean? But let me know if there's anything else you would add on to that. Yeah, suspend, suspending judgment and, and letting go of those narratives and just coming back to feeling and, you know, and if you're practicing mindfulness on a regular basis or breath work, that practice will help with this because really, you know, every time that you get distracted by a rumination, you know, which if you're struggling with ROCD, it probably happens, you know, every, uh, well, a lot, then a really helpful thing is just, okay, keep redirecting your attention back to feeling where you mm -hmm. where you want it to be and mm -hmm. if you keep doing this you know this the intensity of the anxiety will go down mm -hmm. and that's what we really mean by sitting with the feeling is actually trying to explore it stay with it and be patient and and wait and and the, the anxiety will will go down at some point um mm -hmm. it can't stay the same yeah. um Another important thing to kind of think about here, I think from my perspective is, you know, I really like to focus on practical ways of, of practicing with anxiety, of practicing with discomfort. Um, I do uh, the Wim Hof method. Uh, so for your listeners who, who may not know what that is, uh, Wim Hof is a, uh, a Dutch athlete who uh, in the kind of 90s was uh, experimenting with cold exposure and breath work and did all of these different world records, like running a marathon in the North Pole with nothing but a pair of shorts and climbing uh, Mount Everest into the death zone and nothing but a pair of shorts and all sorts of uh, interesting things like that. And he, um, you know, he noticed that actually you can get all sorts of benefits from doing cold exposure if it's done mm -hmm. in, a, in a safe way. And 
you know, for me, a really good practical way to learn about acceptance is actually through cold exposure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now that doesn't have to be uh, a Wim Hof ice bath. It can be. Uh, if you are going to do that, I really recommend, as I was saying before, to make sure you do that safely. But you can experiment with cold showers, for example, where you have your normal hot shower. But at the end of the hot shower, for the last 30 seconds, you can experiment with turning it to cold. And when you do this, you're going to have a horrible urge to remove yourself from that shower immediately. Definitely. Uh, you know, <laughs> and it's going to be really difficult to, to stay there. Um, but the idea is to ride out that storm, to try mm-hmm. to allow yourself to feel what you're feeling. And this is really a very similar kind of effect to, to kind of, when you are triggered by an actual fear or an obsession, Mm. we get a similar response in the body. We want to escape the difficult emotions that are coming up. Well, if you practice that each day, each morning, for example, in the shower for 30 seconds or a minute, it can be a really good way to start your day because you're practicing, you know, allowing yourself to feel and and actually accepting discomfort first Mm. thing in the morning. It's something that when I do that, I don't do it all the time. I, I'm not I'm not going to lie. I, I wish I could do it every day. Sometimes I just, I don't. But yeah, if you can get into a habit of doing that, it really does help. <clears throat> totally. Yeah, I've had some phases of cold showers. And when I was living in Sweden the last few years, one thing I absolutely love about their culture and like the Nordic Scandinavian culture is the um, cold dips and then the saunas you know Mm. those are like kind of two extremes two extremes of like discomfort when you're so hot and then you're so cold but obviously it's been something they've been doing for decades and it's it's safe you know but a lot of people get worried about putting their body in that situation so again if you're listening to this do it safely do it with people around you make sure that you are not overdoing it if you're just trying this for the first time but I definitely know what you mean where it's like right when you get in that cold your mind is like oh my gosh this is horrible why are we doing this this isn't safe get out of Mm. here and when you can kind of just take a few deep breaths and really remind yourself of like I'm safe I'm okay this is going to be okay it is not easy but it's an important practice that can pay off in other areas too Absolutely. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, really what you experience if you have an ice bath, for example, or even a cold shower is is a, a form of shock, cold shock. And cold shock, the symptoms are, you know, you're going to hyperventilate a little bit. Uh, you're going to, to want to escape. You're going to, to feel a horrible kind of sense of dread in your body, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if exactly as you said, if you're able to just take control of your breath in that situation and just slow it right down, which you really can, breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth. Um, Effectively, what you do is you just activate the parasympathetic system, you calm the body down, and you demonstrate to yourself, okay, in this very, very stressful situation, actually, I I can take control of my physiology Mm -hmm. And I, I can calm myself down. Well, if I can do that in this situation, I can do that in many other uh, situations as well. One thing just to say about that, though, is um, with the Wim Hof stuff, it's really important that you never do um, the Wim Hof breathing 
in the shower or in water at all because it can be dangerous so mm. you just mm-hmm. make sure if you're going to do the Wim Hof breathing which is a really interesting thing to do as well just make sure that you do that on dry land at least 10 minutes before you uh beforehand yeah and that was a whole other technique that you didn't get into like breathing in through the nose out through the mouth is like a basic form of breath but you're talking about the more in-depth approach i've seen some of his videos so i kind of have context but you're talking about something completely that you haven't yet mentioned right yeah in the ice bath it's just about slowing your breathing down breathing in through the nose out through the mouth calm slow breathing the wim hof breathing yeah, like I say, you just make sure you do it on dry land because it's totally. a very intense breath work activity. Uh, people can get dizzy and, and these kinds of things. And so yeah. it's much better to to be careful with, avoid the water. Yeah, for sure. And I think too, you know, I'd be curious to hear what you think, Robert, but like if someone's listening to this and they're like, all right, like ice baths, not for me, not my thing, cold showers, not for me this concept still applies to something else. Like if you start off your morning, you wake up, you have some uncomfortable feelings and your first thing that you do is grab your phone or or you just get right into your day. Mm. I, I personally believe the same concept could apply to just sitting down for three minutes and doing the mindfulness practice you shared earlier, redirecting your attention back, but sitting oh, with the uncomfortable feelings, right? So we're not talking about Wim Hof or cold showering as the only way that you can be uncomfortable. There's also physical actions like at the gym, like doing one extra rep when you really don't want to. It's like there's things that you can do in other categories of your life or having an uncomfortable conversation with somebody that you know you're putting off. It's like these things that we're saying are not the only ways to do it. But the message that I'm hearing from you is that when you can practice this outside of just feeling uncomfortable in a relationship or at work, whatever it is, then you're going to see those benefits across your life. Quick episode break to let you know that I am now enrolling for two month private coaching clients. This is the most flexible private coaching package I've ever offered to be able to support you in feeling more confident and clear in your relationship. In our two months together, you will leave with tools and practices to use on the spot during moments of relationship anxiety, a stronger self-awareness of how your own patterns contribute to the dynamics happening in your relationship. You're going to build a deeper sense of self-trust that you are moving forward and making a trustworthy decision as well as a deeper sense of self-compassion and being kinder to yourself during moments of relationship anxiety. You're going to have more clarity around why relationship anxiety shows up for you uniquely and the confidence to move forward without constantly questioning things in your relationship. This two-month package starts as low as $375 a month for a five-month payment plan, and you can check out more information in the show notes if you're ready to show up in your relationship with more confidence and learning how to navigate moments of relationship anxiety. Past private coaching clients share that working together was a game-changer, life-changing, the best decision they've ever made. And if you're so ready to learn how to show up in your relationship from a place of more love and connection so that anxiety is not in the driver's seat anymore, check out those show notes and go ahead and sign up for private coaching. If you have any questions about coaching, just DM me at you love and you learn on Instagram. Thanks so much. And let's get back into the episode.
Absolutely. Yeah. A hundred percent. So yeah, there's, there's a million different ways in which you can practice this. I do the Wim Hof stuff, but I also do lots of other things as well. And, and, you know, it's whatever works for you, but yeah, I, I, I like, for example, often I get up um, early and I try to do three things. First thing in the morning that I really don't want to do that <laughs> like an email, that's a difficult email or a conversation or, you know, whatever it is. And just so that I have those kind of three wins first thing in the morning. Yeah. And it's the same kind of thing. It's it's really about rather than waiting for discomfort to come and find you, mm-hmm. you know, which it will do, mm-hmm. <laughs> whether we <laughs> like it or not, it, it will come and find you. us. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's so much better if we can go to it yep. on our terms and say, OK, you know what? I know you're going to give me some difficult things throughout the day. So how about I just deal with some of those first thing and then whatever else comes up in that day, I'm already going to feel like I can deal with it because I did something difficult first thing in the morning. Totally. Yeah. That's, that's so, so important. I love that example. And what's interesting to you is as you were talking earlier about mindfulness or breathing or doing anything physical, I think you know, there's a difference that I found in my own experiences and with my clients from doing a meditation or sitting down to connect with yourself from an energy of resistance. Like I need to get the feelings to go away. So I'm going to try and do this breathing technique. I'm going to try and meditate it away. I'm going to try to like go for a Mm -hmm. run and completely get rid of any discomfort versus what you were exploring earlier with this whole notion of curiosity which is actually inviting the feelings to be there. So I think that's a really important nuance that I didn't think we elaborated on enough. But if you have anything else to add on that, feel free to. But I just want people listening to realize that when you're sitting down and getting curious with the feelings coming up or the sensations, that doesn't mean that your goal is that they go away as quickly as possible still. It's letting them pass while holding them in a much more compassionate and curious energy. Mm, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it's it's important that we we have that kind of mindset of, you know, true acceptance. And if we're just doing it to get rid of it, that's definitely not true acceptance. That's just mm-hmm. you're kind of tricking yourself in a way. And so do you want to have that that quality of okay, I, I am doing this because I want to change my my mindset um, over time. You know, so I don't think it's about uh, quick fixes with with mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. Unfortunately, it does take a bit of time in order for neuroplasticity to kind of take place. And but you know, through consistent practice of doing this, of each day trying to move towards that discomfort with a a genuine approach where you're honestly trying to develop this ability to be more more curious and if those difficult emotions move on fantastic that's great Mm -hmm. (laughs) but if they stick around well that's also okay they Mm -hmm. will move on when they're ready to move on Mm -hmm. um you know but the moment we we start demanding for them to be gone again then we're in we're back in non-acceptance and that means it's much more likely that they're going to to kind of stick around. 
So, so that's one one side of it that I think is very important. Another another side of it that I tend to focus on in my coaching is kind of acceptance commitment therapy, um, which is a slightly different approach where we still try to allow uh, the emotions to be there in the background, but at the same time we recognize, okay, I, I do I do need to get on with my day. I, I unfortunately can't spend. Mm you know, endless amounts of time feeling my emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, if I've done that for five, 10 minutes and, you know, that which is a really, you know, if you have done that, that's fantastic. Once I've done that, or if I don't have an opportunity to do that at all, but then I can use acceptance commitment therapy where I try to allow the difficult emotions to be there in the background, whilst also practicing refocusing my attention onto valued activities Mm -hmm. um and this is a really helpful skill as well because so often as i was alluding to earlier i think a big part of the problem with uh, relationship ocd is not so much uh, our partners a lot of the time it's really just coming down to to us and the amount of overthinking and overanalyzing we're we're doing which is simply not allowing us the opportunity to enjoy our partner because we're just so caught up in our head all the time um we need to kind of find a way uh, to to kind of have a practical practical tools or techniques to help us to come back to the present and to be with that person that we're with um, acceptance commitment therapy is really helpful with that. And there's lots of different tools that, you know, that remind you to come back to the present and and help you to focus on to or figure out first and then focus yeah. on your values. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as as a way to to practice acceptance as well. So it's kind of like they're they're different avenues, but they're both working with acceptance. Definitely. I'm wondering if we can give as tangible as possible an ROCD example here, like something you said on your website was I started practicing acceptance by putting myself in situations I was afraid of, which we kind of just talked about. But when it comes to exposing yourself to a challenge or fear regarding relationship OCD, like let's say it's ruminating constantly on a specific thought or whatever it is, can you walk through what we've just covered in this conversation of how someone might intentionally take a small step towards leaning into something uncomfortable related to their relationship, how they can then stop to get curious about the sensations coming up. And then let's say it's been five or 10 minutes and they want to move on and take a valued action. Like, let's just walk through exactly what that might look like for someone who's experiencing ROCD and you can pick any intrusive thought or any uncomfortable thing that you've experienced because I think sometimes when we have these types of conversations someone's like all right like how does that actually work though in real time so let's talk through that yeah absolutely so let's say that you are really struggling with rumination about your relationship Mm -hmm. is this person the right person for me am I wasting my time should I break up with them or not you know, all of these kinds of thoughts. And, you know, it's it can be so painful. You feel like you're finally, uh, you know, coming to a good conclusion about it. You've thought about it a lot. Finally, you arrive at this kind of conclusion or a decision. Only for five minutes later, a different thought pops up into your head and you, you're like completely lost again. Mm. And all of that thinking was uh, for nothing. And you're going around in circles again. And, 
you know, this is the rumination process or the OCD cycle, um, you know, where we're having an obsessive thought. You can think about it like this, a kind of clock. It's a simplified version, but a clock at 12 o'clock, we have the obsessive thought at three o'clock. Well, we feel a lot of anxiety about that and we want to get rid of it. So at six o'clock, we perform a compulsion. Often in ROCD, that might be ruminating on whatever it is that you're uh, concerning yourself with about your relationship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the whole point of the rumination actually is to try to reduce your anxiety, reduce mm-hmm. the uncertainty that you have about that particular issue. Only, you know, actually what, what you're doing is you're reinforcing this idea that the relationship isn't correct. And at nine o'clock, we do feel temporarily better when we perform that compulsion. When we ruminate, it does make us feel like we're doing something. Mm -hmm. Momentarily, you're like, oh yeah, I feel a lot better because I've been thinking about it. And yeah, this is the conclusion. And now I know what I want to do. But as I was just talking about before, unfortunately, really what all you all you're doing is reinforcing this loop and so you're Mm -hmm, telling mm -hmm. your subconscious mind whenever i have a doubt i have to ruminate about it because then i'm gonna feel a bit more certain um you know and so all we do is we go back to the start of the circle and we go round and round and round with this and we never really come to any helpful conclusions And so what we have to learn to do is break this vicious cycle. Really, we have to learn how to stay at three o'clock. Because when we stay at three o'clock, we get the obsessive thought, which we can't help. You can't help intrusive thoughts. You have no control over them whatsoever. Everybody gets them. However, if you learn to not ruminate on them, you will get less of them. Mm Mm-hmm which is encouraging. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So basically you get that intrusive thought and then you get anxiety about it. Well, right now you can't help that either. But what you can do is stay in the anxiety. Don't go around the circle again. Don't go to to six o'clock because six o'clock is the compulsion and normally it's rumination. And so what would that look like? It could be different things, but if we were going to do, first of all, moving towards the feeling, then it would be acknowledging to ourselves, okay, I've been caught out by an obsessive thought. I really want to ruminate about this, but I've decided that I'm not going to because I'm really committed to this coaching process or trying this new technique or whatever. So instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit down on the side of my bed or cross-legged on the floor, whatever's comfortable for you. I'm going to close my eyes and you're just going to try to anchor yourself for a few moments with a few deep breaths, breathing very deeply as low as possible into the belly, in through the nose, and then breathing out a nice, long, slow, extended exhale for a few breaths, just to kind of anchor ourselves into the present. And then we're going to move our attention into the body and just try to scan the body for a moment or two and try to identify where am I feeling this anxiety right now? Because you will be feeling something. If those thoughts are racing like that, then there's going to be something happening in the body. And if we really pay attention 
and really try to become curious about what we're feeling in the body. You may be surprised at what you can find there, often in the stomach or the chest. Sometimes it can be in the shoulders, sometimes in the forehead or above the eyes. And the idea then is to, to kind of, well, I, I like to use this idea of a kind of white light. So you can imagine that you're breathing in this compassionate and curious and accepting white light that is helping you to bring a different uh, level of awareness to this feeling. And as we breathe into it, we notice a lot of the time that the feeling, it may begin to change or it may not, but we begin to notice more things about it. As you were alluding to earlier, we might notice the temperature. We may notice changes in it. We may notice the shape or the edges of, of it. There's so many different things that you can pay attention to. And often when we do pay attention in this way, the anxiety does go down as a side effect. Not always, but often it does. But if we make that our goal, again, we, we often run into problems. Mm. So that's something that I, I recommend people to to explore and to practice with and yeah. you know and and see how how it works. That would be yeah. the first kind of step I would say. The next step then after that would be using different tools in relation to acceptance commitment therapy. So really here you want to be applying diffusion techniques. If rumination is the big issue and often it is then diffusion techniques are really just ways to unhook ourselves from difficult thoughts that, you know, that are really, um, really catching us out. And so, you know, there's all sorts of different tools that you might use for that, like labeling or postponing or refocusing and th things like this. And the idea here with this is we need to have a practical way to let go of the thoughts and to come back to the present moment let's just use the example of postponement which is a great one it's a kind of classic technique you simply acknowledge first of all that you've been caught out by a thought that you you don't like whether it's an obsessive thought or not try not to get caught up in that because you may go around in circles trying to uh, ascertain a hundred percent whether it's an ocd thought or not and again that's not helpful so just ask yourself is thinking about this right now, is it helping me? Is it really helping me to be the person I want to be? And if that thought is taking you out of the present and it's making you anxious, you know, then it's not helping you. If the thought is like helping you to be present and helping you to live your life by your values, then great, carry on with it. But that can be a more helpful way of ascertaining like if this thought is helpful and Often I say to people, just label it then as an unhelpful thought. Mm -hmm. And then say to yourself, I'm not going to think about this now if we're going to use postponement. I'm not going to think about it now. But if I really want to, I'm allowed to think about it in half an hour, for example. Mm -hmm. Or you can have a specific time later in the day where you're allowed to think about it as much as you want. But up until that time, your objective is every time you catch yourself thinking about it again, mm -hmm. you simply acknowledge it, label it, and refocus your attention back to a valued activity, which could be speaking with your friend, could be uh, eating your dinner, it could be focusing on your work, it could be speaking with your, your partner, <laughs> um, 
you know, whatever it might be. But yeah, th this approach, it tends to be really, really helpful as a kind of practical way of going through your day if you're struggling with ruminations. Mm, yeah, I love that. Thank you so much. It was so tangible. I hope everyone listening feels really supported by that because I think sometimes you're just so like caught up in, well, what would I do in a moment like this? So thank you so much for going through that. And I only have a few final questions. This question was inspired by someone in one of my group programs, actually, and they were wondering, how can we not only learn to sit with or lean into discomfort, but how can we find contentment in the presence of discomfort? Like, how can we actually be peacefully happy amidst discomfort? And I think so much of what you already talked about kind of alludes to this, but is there any other insight you might have about either a mindset shift or something we can do to not only be okay with, but even like maybe happy about these moments of discomfort because of what they're doing for us? Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, that that's what you're just, what you just said at the end there is spot on. These uncomfortable things Unfortunately, life does have a way of presenting them to us. And often when we we get stuck in life, we get in a kind of funk where, you know, we're not really improving or getting on. Life does have this un uncanny way of presenting these difficult things even more. And do we shy away or do we lean into that? Obviously, if you can find the the resources to lean into it, it's going to help you a lot more. And I, I think one of the one of the things to think about here is actually the difference between anxiety and um, excitement in terms of symptoms in the body isn't actually that different. You know, when we're experiencing excitement, well, we have an elevated heart rate, we might have sweaty hands. We, we may be kind of jumping, racing thoughts, and it's very, very similar to, to anxiety. The issue is the kind of story that we're telling ourselves about, about those two different states. One has a positive connotation, the other has a negative. And if you can begin to, to kind of see these dif uh, difficult things as actually challenges that are going to help you live a more fulfilling life, and although they are difficult, if we begin to say, okay, anxiety, I don't like it. It's an uncomfortable emotion, but actually I can use it. You know, if, if you're going to do a presentation, for example, you're going to have anxiety. We all do. Uh, public speaking is one of those things that where, you know, just about everybody uh, experiences anxiety. I had anxiety before doing this podcast today. But actually, we can also use that anxiety because when you get into an anxious state, your body is secreting stress hormones, adrenaline, for example. But this helps you in these situations perform at your best. You want to, to have a little bit of anxiety in, in these kinds of situations because it helps you to focus. Yeah. It focuses the mind and it, it helps you to perform at your best level. If you speak to to actors or um, uh, yeah, generally speaking, they they will say, I, you know, I need to have a little bit of nervousness and anxiety. Yeah. 
And if we can begin to see it like that, okay, anxiety comes up as more of an indication that something is important to me. Yeah. This relationship, okay, maybe I'm I'm second guessing it. But the reason I'm doing that is because, well, relationships are actually really important to me, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it's something that I really want to, to get life, it's, uh, to get right. And it's okay that I'm anxious about things that are important to me, you know, and so if we can begin to get into that mindset, that's very helpful. And also, I think visualization can be really helpful when it comes to these kinds of things where you're visualizing your future self and you're trying to see yourself dealing with difficult situations in the future things that maybe you're anxious about but actually seeing yourself dealing with that in a positive way but not imagining yourself to have no anxiety (laughs) when you're doing Mm. that thing but seeing yourself in the future actually dealing with that difficult thing but in a positive way, despite the difficult emotions that might show up. And that can be a really helpful tool as well. Yeah, so powerful. It's almost like for me, what I've chosen to believe, especially on the journey with relationship anxiety, ROCD is like, this is helping you be the type of person who can handle the things that you want to be able to handle in your life and your relationship. Like I would much rather be someone who has gone through some discomfort and then knows how to regulate or knows how to show up in response to that amidst discomfort versus getting up to that altar when I go to get married and I've never had any difficulties in my life. And then suddenly maybe they spring up on me later and I feel completely unprepared for it. Right. So I think for me, finding the contentment, so to speak, in the presence of the discomfort is all about the meaning you create from it. And are you willing to see this as something that's helping you versus something that's happening to you? And that's a big piece of it. Absolutely. Yeah. I I really couldn't agree more with what you've just said there. That's absolutely Mm -hmm. spot on. These, these things is my belief that a lot of these things come to us for a reason. Um, And, you know, because they really do, whether we like it or not, they really do force us to to change and to evolve as people and it can be incredibly hard at times you know i've really been through the mill with with uh, ocd and rocd and so i know just how challenging it can be and um you know so if you are going through rocd uh relationship issues then you know my heart really goes out to you because i know how hard it can be but yeah if you can see it from that perspective that you just kind of pointed out there i think it can be you know really really helpful to see it uh in, in that way and it helps us also to kind of keep gratitude in mind a lot of the time when when the ocd comes up it puts us almost in a kind of scarcity mindset that you know i can't cope i don't have what i need and, and we do, we do have those resources inside. We just need to find the right way to get in touch with them. Mm, beautifully said. Well, thank you so much, Robert. Before I ask you the final two questions that I ask all my guests, is there anything else on the subject of discomfort or acceptance or anything we've covered today that you want to throw into the mix here? No, I mean, I, I think you've covered most of the things. I mean, I was going to... Uh, 
to kind of uh, tell my my story a little bit of you know my own issues with ROCD and how I've kind of overcome that lately I'm also wary because I do have a, a session coming up very shortly so I'm gonna have to jump to move on that. but um... we'll have to do a part two then <laughs> we'll have to do a part two well very quickly where can people stay connected with you yeah so uh yeah they can head over to my website which is uh, robertjamescoaching.com uh they can find me on instagram uh yeah robertjamescoachinguk and there's also a Facebook group for, for my podcast. So I didn't mention the podcast. It's the uh, the OCD and Anxiety Podcast by Robert James Coaching. If you'd like to check out the podcast, you can. And there's also a Facebook group under the same name. So Wonderful. And if you have just one moment to answer the final question I ask all the guests, because it's a You Love and You Learn podcast, what's one thing you have learned about love that you would want to leave listeners with? I think it's a really good question. What is the one thing? I think the the important thing, particularly if you're struggling with with ROCD, is love the one you're with. Give them mm-hmm. some time. It's it's so tempting to to just kind of move on and and say, well, I'm not feeling this or I'm not feeling that or there's this thing and I can't get over it. And or even you know maybe you're in the relationship, but you're not really in it. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. you're you're kind of one foot in, one foot out, and you're not really giving yourself the opportunity to really see if that person is the right one for you or not. Yeah. If you can suspend judgment for a few months <laughs> and love the one you're with, you know, and act as if maybe this is the right person for you, sometimes, you know, you may be surprised with uh, what the results might be. But uh, Beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. And thank you everyone so much for listening. I'll let you go now, but I will see you all in the next episode and we'll have to do a part two where we dive in more deeply into your story, Robert. So thanks so much. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for having me on. And uh, of course. yeah, really great, really great questions as well. So wow. many thanks. Thanks so much. Thanks everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Love and You Learn podcast. If you've been enjoying the podcast, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could rate and review the podcast because the more ratings and reviews there are, the more people that can hear this message. And it's really important to me to get this message out to the world and to create a space where people can learn about love and relationships in a way that is not judgmental, in a way that helps them expand their perspective from the cultural narratives that we've heard and seen in the movies and in Hollywood and the media. And the more ratings and reviews that are there, the more people that can hear this message. So thank you again so much. It really means the world to me that you are listening and see you in the next episode.